I'm going to let you into my brain just a little bit, but it's going to be okay. So hang in there. There are, there are these times when, as a pastor, you get to preach these passages that are they're, they're just a lot of fun, and you know that you know that you know that, like in unison, people are going to go, yeah, let's do that. Let's follow Jesus that way. And, and it's exciting, and it's a step of faith, and you know that that's going to happen. And then there are other times as a, as a pastor, you get to preach these passages that they're a little more complicated. It's not that they're not the Word of God. Of course, they are the Word of God. But you know people, and you know that there are going to be some wounds, some people that are hurt, some people that maybe will miss the intention of the Scripture, even because of the translation of the Scripture. And those are these moments where we have to tread lightly and yet we have to speak boldly and lovingly. And those are hard places to be. Today's one of those days. So we're going to be talking about some things that might be difficult for a variety of reasons. Maybe there are some wounds, some hurts that you've experienced, some situations that you've encountered in the past that maybe blurs some lines that maybe make this message hard to swallow. And I understand that. I've been praying this week with Pastor Matt. We've been praying about God just being a a healing balm that he would, with surgical precision, be the great physician. That he would reach into any hurts or wounds and he'd pull those out. And that he'd deliver healing in this place. So that's, that's our prayer. And that's where we're at today. We're, we're going to talk about um, being subject to government. Fun. We're going to talk about being servants subject to masters. Wives being subject to husbands. Husbands being subject to wives. Already I'm seeing some of you go, oh boy. I get it. I get it. It's hard. But I want to encourage you to lean in. I want to encourage you to lean in and say, okay, God. I'm in a safe place here. I'm okay. I want to hear what you're telling me in this moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity, God, to put some healing balm on my soul. I I want to encourage you to lean into that and watch and see what God might do. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you and we ask Almighty God that you would move in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that you you would just, in a very real way, speak to our souls and help us to respond in faith to you. Because these are not these are not easy matters. And in a global pandemic, there are emotions that are heightened, and then we have our past experiences that may act as baggage as we come into this place. So, Lord, I'm asking, would you be the great physician here today? Would you move in such a way that with surgical precision, you would cut away anything that is not of you? And so, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand for your good glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Just before communion, I will give you an opportunity to respond. That response is not to single you out. It's not to embarrass you. It's to pray for you. Don't have to have uh, 
a, a deep insight into the situation, only that you need prayer. And we're going to spend a few moments in prayer before we go into a time of communion later in the service. With that in mind, we want to make sure that we're calibrating. And we always calibrate with Christ, right? I mean, we can look at the world, but the world is a terrible calibrator as it relates to holiness and God's plan. Even other Christian leaders are not the best calibrator of God's plan. So we want to look at Jesus and see what Jesus uh, offers. See what Jesus' role, see Jesus' example. And that's what we're leaning into today. So we start with Jesus. And I want you to consider that before there was ever a creation, Jesus is there. And I have to believe that heaven is better than earth. Do you agree with that statement? Like, heaven's got to be better than earth. Much, much better. But Jesus, who is not bound by time, he's not bound by, like, mm, the law of thermodynamics. He's not bound by those types of things. By gravity, by time, by institution, he's not bound at all. Subjects himself to those, those laws, those principles, those rules when he comes to earth. And in that place where he comes to earth, he grows up in a home. And he's under the authority of his family. And he grows up in this home and he becomes a carpenter. And and the word that's used makes us believe that he's probably more like a stonemason. And so the stonemason is working on these projects for other people. And he's under the authority and the rule of those, those people and those principles and those rules and the laws of the land. And he works in that setting. And then not just that, but he's also under the authority of the spiritual leaders of that day. And he says this several times. Not just that, but he's also under the rule of Rome. And this is God in the flesh who subjects himself to that place. Not just that, but then he's willing to go to the cross The cross is a a terrible thing. It's uh, not created by the Romans, but the Romans perfect it. They want to figure out how how to give the most pain in this scenario. And they come up with crucifixion, and they have a lot of variations that they use. And, And basically, you suffocate to death, pulling yourself up, then letting yourself down, and eventually you get exhausted. And that's, that's just if they tie you to the post. If they nail you, the pain is more excruciating as you could imagine. It was, it was done very purposefully. And Jesus subjects himself to that type of death. The word excruciating literally means out of the cross. Out of the cross. When we were trying to figure out like what word would explain the most pain we could come up with, they came up with excruciating, out of the cross. This is a painful thing that Jesus was willing to subject himself to, and he is who we're aligning ourselves with. He is who we're calibrating with. That needs to be really clear as we enter into this, that it's Jesus who we're following. There are a couple of different Uh, principles that we use. I I like the mirror principle. We talk a lot about that uh, in resolving everyday conflict through peacemakers ministries. We talk about the mirror principle. Associated with the mirror principle is the role of reflection. And this this looks like this. In 
In John chapter 5, Jesus uh, says, that which I see my father do, that I do also. It's a mirror. It's a mirroring. What I see my father do, that's what I do. What we see Jesus do, that's what, that's what we do. It's a mirror principle. How does Jesus respond? How does Jesus act in these roles in the, during these times? Are there, maybe, maybe they're not 100% the same, but maybe there are some principles that we can draw out and apply. It's a mirror principle. There's also a role of reflection. The role of reflection. And it looks just a little bit different. It's, it's kind of the, the same thing, but with a little different shade in it. And it looks like this. In John... Uh, in First John, rather, John is writing, and, and he says this, I paraphrase. He says, how can you say you love God and hate your brother? How can you hate that which you see and claim that you love God who you can't see? That doesn't make sense. Jesus, in his prayer, he makes a point to say, on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I, I admit, in this moment, I'm taking a little bit of a jump with this next statement, but I think there are some supporting passages that we can connect to it. Uh, and that's this. How can we say that we're under the authority of God, who we can't see, if we're never under authority of any person who we can't see? How can we say that? This issue of authority or submission is a spiritual discipline. And it's not easy. It's as if God is saying, look, I want to make your heart right towards me. And we're going to see this in, later on in 1 Peter in some chapters when he talks about persecution and what that does to us. But being under that authority, I want to do something in you that, that is good that is holy, that is right, even when the people who are over you, who you're being subject to, are not being kind, are not being gracious, are not looking out for your best interests. And it's usually in this moment where people will say things like, well, God doesn't want me to be a doormat. Well, that's true. But again, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was spit on. His beard was pulled. He was whipped. And he was nailed. That, that sounds worse than a doormat. Uh, I have a good friend. Uh, I love him. We've been friends for about 26, 27 years. And he's my accountability partner. We talk often. And, and one of the things he does to me, uh, if I'm complaining, he'll go, Hey, Kenny, uh, when you have suffered as much as Jesus, then would you call me back? I'm like, I don't like you. You know, um, that's not what I was looking for, but it's a good point. And, and, and I'm not trying to be cold or callous. That's, that's not what we're doing. But Jesus is the example. And if Jesus is the example, then we really need to orient ourselves towards him through the things that we do and through the things that we say. This idea of being subject is a great word. In the Greek, it has this, the, the, it's used often in a military sense, and it means to be under someone's command. So a leader who we're under their command. What they say we do, we act in unison in this, uh, uh, in this situation. The problem is that that's not always how the word is used. Uh, it's, it's not always used in a military sense. In fact, when it's used outside of a military sense, it has a little different flavor. And it means this. It means to give in or to cooperate. 
to cooperate. Sometimes I wish Scripture would just use those kind of words because it would make some things easier because we have uh, a branding that we give to certain words that, that draw with it all kinds of baggage. And perhaps today we're going to get into that. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 is where we're going to start. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there uh, as we go. And I'm going to turn my controls up to uh, the man behind the curtain so, so that we can walk through this together. Again, uh, just very frankly, this is a hard passage. And it, it, it's easy for it to not sit well with us. I get it. This is also the word of God. And we're going to proclaim it. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to wrestle with it. So here we go. Verse 13. Be subject. And that's that word again. Give in. Cooperate. For the Lord's sake. To every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Pause there. If you have your pen, I would encourage you to underline verse 15, and here's why. The church started off as a small movement. In ancient Israel, it grew into the Roman Empire, and over the course of the next two to three hundred years, it took over. People were familiar with it. Why? Because they held these rallies, and they went to the emperor's palace, and they yelled at him and screamed at him, and they told him this, that. No, no, that's not it. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for that. There is. But what I am saying is the church submitted themselves. And some of those people were crucified. In fact, Peter, the very guy who's writing this, later on in his life is going to be crucified for this message of the gospel. Some of them are sent into the Colosseum, and some of them are burned alive. And it made a difference. In a way, in a way that rioting can't. In a way that... that that fighting back can't. No, you know what I see? I see somebody here who believes that there is this Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and they're not swerving to the right or to the left. They're staying true to who he is and they're following him no matter what. And when they're pushed, they say, this, this is for God. See, we're supposed to do all of this for God. It's not about the institutions it's not about the government. It's not about uh, an employer. It's not about, uh, it's not about a home. It's not about a spouse. All of this being subject is being subject to God. God, I'm offering this to you. And throughout time, people saw that. Some of them were periphery people. And they became followers. That's rooted in who we are as Christians. That's exactly what happened with Paul. or Saul, who later becomes Paul where he sees somebody and he is sure that he's evil and he sentences him to be stoned to death. And in that place, he still thinks he's doing what's right. God convicts him, meets him later and speaks truth to him. And Saul is transformed to Paul. It's rooted in who we are. 
We see it all the time throughout church history as well. Let's continue on to verse 16. It says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Let me pause there. This is so good. We are free. We don't have to create sacrifices to please God. We don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to please God. Jesus did all of the work, and we're free from that. We don't have to walk in legalism. What a beautiful thing at the same time. It goes on, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants. The word servants there, if you have your pen, uh, your Bible and pen, underline that word. It's a little bit different than the word that's about to be used in verse 18. It's doulos. It means slave, literally a slave. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as slaves of God. In other words, this freedom that I have, how do I use it for your glory, God? Not how do I use it for my advantage? How do I, how do I kind of sneak around it? How do, I, uh, how do I use it in such a way that I benefit? That's not what this is talking about. And we've seen it a lot. I mean, we have incredible freedoms in Christ. There are things that we have freedom to do that maybe we have never even exercised because it's like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't do that because it would cause somebody else to stumble. Not that that means we're better than somebody else. It just means we're in a different spot than somebody else. This is an amazing passage. Verse 17 continues. Honor everyone. The word honor there means to fix value, to revere, to venerate. Honor everyone. Why? Well, we could say because they're created in the image of God, and that would be absolutely true. We could also say because God said so, and that's also absolutely true. Honor everyone. There is a value inherent in who you are because of who you are, because you're a person, because you live and breathe. Then I revere you. I respect you. I venerate you even. Then it goes on to say, love the brotherhood. The word love there is associated with the word agape. Uh, it's the verb form of the noun. And, and what they're saying here is that this is non-transactional kind of love. Like, I love you because I love you. This love has been given to me to give to others. It's not for something that you have done. It's not for a transaction that we have or even a relationship that we have. Okay, because you're related to me, then I have to love you. It's, no, it's, it's agape. It's non-transactional. It's love that is sacrificial. I love you just because I love you. And then, fear God. To have awe. Honor the emperor. Same word honor as uh, honor the emperor is used for honor everyone. Revere, venerate. I, I'll just tell you that what these emperors were doing during this time, this emperor and others um, that followed him, were awful. I, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even verbalize it here because it, it, it's gross and embarrassing and disgusting. And God's word tells us to honor them, to venerate them, to have respect for, to hold them up. That's the word. So let's keep looking. Let's keep reading verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. 
pause there. Sometimes we, we read that and we have a, a context. Is that, is that talking about slavery? And, and actually it's not. This particular passage, the, the word that's used there as servants is associated with the home. And it could mean anybody who is under a household. There were lots of reasons. You might go live with your dad, for example, in this, in this society. You might uh, be staying at their house. That means you're this person. You're a servant. You may be working or employed in the field of this, uh, uh, this person. Then you're, you're this. It has a variety. I mean, it has a variety of application. You could also perhaps, by extension, say an employer could work there as well. So anybody who is under the household, by extension, perhaps it could also mean employer. I think, I think the principle is still the same. Be subject, uh, be, uh, give in, cooperate with to your masters. That, that word is not a master as in a slave. That's a master as in the head of a house. With all respect. Again, uh, that word respect is the same as what we should do with God. Fear God. With all fear is another way of saying that. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. There are some people it's easy to be subject to, right? They're good to you. They're kind to you. They look out for you. Those are, those are great ones. Like, yes, I, would abs- I know that I can do what you ask me because I know you're looking out for me. I know you're not going to do anything to hurt me. I get that. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. There are going to be those times where you're not being looked out for, where someone is not being kind. And that's why it's so important that we're calibrated with Christ, that this is not about the government, and it's not about our employer or who the, the head of the household. It's not about our spouse. This is about me surrendering to Christ. Me... Uh, cooperating with the work of God. Uh, Continuing on verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So when we do these things, We're actually acting like Jesus. We're following him. It wasn't easy for him, but he surrendered. It's not easy for us. We're following you, Jesus. I'm going where you go, and this is my act of faith. And then we see an example followed in the, and we see that Jesus is the example in the following verses. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's the work of Jesus. For us to do anything less than that is not following in the account of Jesus. Not that we replace Christ. Not that we somehow um, uh, are dying for sins or even earning our salvation. That's not what this is about. But it is about obedience and this offering that we give to God. And we see it found right here. And then it goes on to verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Hey, when we do these things, even though there may be these human institutions that exist that don't look out for us, God does. He's looking out for your soul. And he knows better than any of us. And he knows what happens when, when we're uh, a subject, when we're obedient to him in these places. And we, he knows what the outcome's going to be. And oftentimes the outcome is, wow, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. That's weird. Tell me more. Let's keep going. Now, I want to lead with this in chapter 3, verse 1. Um, Pastor Matt would really like to talk to you more about this in detail. And uh, he takes calls during the Super Bowl or late at night. Feel free to, to contact him. This is, this is one of those tricky passages that are off, it's often used. And, and I'll just be honest, I mean, I've been in ministry long enough where I've seen some people um, be severely wounded because of how this passage has, has been beaten over the other person's head. So hang in there with me, and let's walk through this together. Likewise. What does it mean, likewise? Well, like, likewise the servants. That's what it's likewise. Just like Christ did that for the servants, Christ does this for you. Just like we're supposed to be subject there, we're being subject here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Subject, cooperate. Cooperate with him. Give in. Cooperate. So that even if you do, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'll just tell you that this, I recognize how difficult this is, especially if, if you're in a relationship that you don't agree on the same values. It's hard when you agree on the same values. It's, it's hard when you're going in the same direction towards Jesus. But the idea is to cooperate. To cooperate. And then it, it goes on from there, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. I mean, well, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I, I, I love that. It's like this, and maybe you've seen it too. You've seen these, these beautiful ladies who have like the soul of a pterodactyl. Like, you're not convincing anybody of anything. But those that, like, man, I love you, honey, and I, I, I'm going to walk with you here. I'm going to cooperate with you. I, I'm going to follow you in this place. The, those, boy, you start to see a transforming uh, a relationship occur. Some beautiful things start to happen, verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, it's not helpful if, if the response that you have, that we have, is to say, you know, he's a jerk. I don't like him. Have you ever been in those social situations 
where a couple is obviously having a fight and they don't mind saying it in front of you, those are awkward. Uh, That is not a fun place to be. But we see it from time to time. Like, ah, you know what? I have an audience now and I'm tired of you stepping on me, so I'm going to give it to you. And in this, be subject, cooperate. God can work in that place. God can work. And look, it continues to go on. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, because this is an offering to God. It's not even about her husband. This is an offering to God. God, I'm giving this to you. I'm cooperating with him even when he's not cooperating with you. Even when he's not the leader, I think he should be. I'm going to love you in this place. And then verse 7. Likewise. Like what? Like the wives. Uh, Like the servants. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor. That word honor is the same word that's used for God earlier. Honor God. Or I'm sorry, honor everyone and also honor the the emperor. It means to... um, it means to lift up, to venerate, like make her special. That's the idea. Let me pause there before we go any further. When I, when I first started in ministry, one of the guys I worked with, he said this. He said, Kenny, if you want to see how a marriage is, watch the wife. Watch her countenance. See what her countenance says. You'll, you'll see really quick if the husband is understanding, kind, and gentle, or if there's a conflict there. Watch her. Not to put pressure on you ladies, but there's a little bit there. <laughs> but it's true. Do you, do you see some conflict there? Do you see some, like, oh, I just have to endure this. I made a vow. I'm going to follow this vow. Or maybe it's for the husband who's saying, I don't get you. You think different. Heads up, fellas. <laughs> we think different. It's hard. Yeah, be understanding. It's difficult. Yeah, be kind. It's really hard. Yeah. And Jesus says, love her like Christ loved the church who gave himself for her. And you might find that there is a little bit more cooperation in the days to come. Now, we're getting to the hard parts again. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I'm just going to stop there because if I don't, you're not going to hear anything else I say. This, This idea of weaker, first of all, Um, there are a few things at play. One, in general terms, men are physically bigger than women. General terms. Are there women bigger than men? Yep. Are there women stronger than men? Yep. Uh, In general terms, though, this is the case. Additionally, we have this situation where, in in these days especially, um, women who were living at home, they were having children and Uh, They were having, at times, many children, and some of those children are only living a few years. And their primary role in those homes was taking care of them. They were very vulnerable, these ladies. And it's a great reminder to protect them. Look over them. Watch over them. Care for them. They're in a vulnerable position. Why? And then then for guys, let me help you with why. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word weaker there is used in a few places. One of those places is in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. And it says this, 
God chose the weak to shame the strong. The height of creation, God creates woman out of man. There's a special place, and God's looking out for him. And in each place, this is not about... Um, this is not about surrender for surrender's sake. This is not about being beat up. This is an offering to God. And that's the point. So let's consider a few things. Let's consider a few things. The first thing, uh, God wills to do good. So God wills to do good. It's, it's God's plan for us to do good. Whether we're talking about government, whether we're talking about work or under the authority of other people or in a, a relationship, a marriage relationship, it's God's plan to do good, not evil. Am I looking out for this person? Am I caring for this person? Am I ministering to this person? It's God's plan to do good. Verse 16 Freedom can lead to evil. Wow, we have to be so careful with that. We have all these freedoms, and they're worth celebrating, and they're really cool, but we can also, uh, with just a little bit of deviation, it can be about us. How do I manipulate this? How do I make this work for me? Well, it's way more convenient. I don't have to be as disciplined. I'm just going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That can become evil really quick. So be careful. And then finally, and this is found in verse 13, being subject, we do it for the Lord's sake, period. This is for God. This is my sacrifice to you, O Lord. I want to offer it to you. This is not easy, but I'm surrendering to you in this place. I recognize that today uh, there may be a lot of variations of all of these things. There may be a lot of like, I don't really like what's being said here. But we have to align ourselves with the word of God and we have to see Christ's example as paramount in our lives. And if we want to see change, if we want to see people come to Christ, if we want those around us to know the Lord, then a big part of that is being subject to the authorities around us. You may be in a place today where you're saying, I, you know, I see where I need to do something different. Or... I don't really like to struggle like I'm struggling with this. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand. You may be thinking like, oh, this is kind of hard to surrender. But as a, as a spiritual discipline, I see the need for it. But I also recognize my flesh doesn't like this. Then I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'll tell you that, that as you stand in just a few moments, I'll pray for you. But I want you to know that if I were down there, I would be standing also. And even as I'm praying, I'm also thinking of myself, because this is hard stuff, but it's good stuff, and it's God's stuff, and it's for his church. So if you're saying today, I just need some prayer, I need some prayer for this whole issue of being subject, would you be willing to stand up just right now? It's okay, we're not shaming anybody, I'm not asking for more information, I'm, I'm not taking notes and going to call you out later, that's not happening. But what I do want to do, and it's okay if you don't stand. I mean, maybe you've worked through this. So you don't have to revisit it again and again. I respect that. But I do want to pray for you. And as the, the worship team comes and as we prepare for communion, let me pray for you now, for us now. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your word. 
You often don't call us to the easy things. And this is one of those examples. And it's hard. And so, Lord, we're surrendering to you in this moment, asking that you would be exalted, asking that you would be lifted up, asking, Almighty God, that you would help us to honor you as we're subject to those authorities around us, whether we're talking about government or employment or under the household that we live or, or Lord, whether it's, uh, whether it's with our spouse. Help us to give that as an offering to you, just like Jesus did. Because of Jesus being willing to be subject to these authorities, Lord, we have life. We're gathered here today because of what Jesus did. And Lord, if you tarry, then I pray that in the days to come, there would be those who would come to faith in you because of the surrender that is happening even here today. Give us strength in you to be obedient to your word for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.